it has changed everything about my life, how I perceive being a parent and how you align with mission. Um, I wish I had understood that more. So when I was a troop commander, not that I'm, you know, there was only a handful of women in my unit to begin with. Only, I think twice did two of my female soldiers became pregnant and had their children while I was a troop commander. You know, I would like to think that I didn't make it difficult for them, but I don't think I necessarily advocated for them and made it easier. And I wish I understood what it truly meant to be a mom in uniform when I was younger, uh, things that I would have advocated harder for them just because you just don't know what you don't know. Having kids does change the way you look at life, at the way you look at how you provide for them. And I've always said this, the military is a very unique organization. It's an amazing organization filled with opportunities, but it is a certain type of lifestyle and it's hard and it can be hard for your children. And I think those are things you got to think about. Besides me saying I didn't want to be a mom when I was younger, I wanted to achieve certain things in my career. And for me, that was being a troop commander. And I just felt that I had to dedicate myself as a leader to my soldiers. Army veteran Lieutenant Colonel, retired, Olivia Nunn is known for being an experienced director of communication with a demonstrated history of working in the government relations industry. Skilled in developing, executing, and assessing strategic communication, crisis communications, social media, media relations and operations management. She is a strong media and communication professional. Lieutenant Colonel Olivia Nunn was commissioned as an ROTC military graduate through Radford University ROTC program in 2001. LTC Nunn has served in command and staff positions within the United States Army, including three combat deployments to Iraq. LTC Nunn has served as an official Army spokesperson, executive officer to the Chief of Army Public Affairs and as the lead strategic communication planner for the Office of the Chief of Army Public Affairs. She assumed duties as the Director of Communication, Soldier for Life in September 2018. Lieutenant Colonel Nunn's awards and decorations include the Bronze Star Medal, Meritorious Service Medal, Army Commendation Medal, Army Achievement Medal, National Defense Service Medal, Iraq Campaign Medal with three campaign stars, Global War on Terror Expeditionary Medal, Global War on Terror Service Medal, Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, Army Service Ribbon, Army Overseas Ribbon, Meritorious Unit Citation, and the Army Staff Identification Batch. Lieutenant Colonel Olivia Nunn holds a Bachelor of Business Administration in Management from Radford University, Radford, Virginia, a Master's of Science in Environmental Management from Webster University, and a Master of Professional Studies in Public Relations and Corporate Communications from Georgetown University. She is a graduate of the Command and General Staff College the Joint Intermediate Public Affairs Course, the Public Affairs Qualification Course, the Chemical Officer Career Course, and the Chemical Officer Basic Course. Lieutenant Colonel Olivia Nunn and her husband, Lieutenant Colonel Lawrence Nunn, have been married for 15 years and have two children.
Welcome. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of being a veteran is sacrifice. Because you sacrifice a lot. And if you're out there trying to raise a family while in the military, they also sacrifice a lot. Um, and I would also say pride. Because when I look at the faces of my family as they talk about my career and, and I know how very proud they are of me, that gives me great joy. And for every soldier that served with me, um, thank you. Thank you. Because you contributed to my career. And if you're serving today, I commend you. And I would say, do not be a 60% soldier. Be 100% every day. So when you look at the mirror at the end of the day, you also have pride. I would say to you, be safe and God bless. So I grew up in Puyallup, Washington. For those that have ever been stationed at Joint Base Lewis-McCord, and then if you're kind of older generation, you would know it as Fort Lewis. It's actually just outside of that area in the suburbs, if you want to say. I grew up there. My dad was in the Army when I was a kid. He served for 12 years. He was a combat engineer. And I am the oldest of three girls. I'm daddy's girl. That's what daddy did. Daddy was in the Army, so I wanted to be in the Army. So I knew since I was four years old that I wanted to be in the Army. I just had no idea what that really meant. I did try to enlist when I was in college to kind of help pay for college. And my dad said no. Right now, you need to focus on going to school. You need to get your education. And when you're done, you will commission and become an officer. I continued in my studies. I did ROTC, which is Reserve Officer Training Corps at Radford University in Virginia. Then I commissioned in 2001. And I actually was a chemical officer initially before I became a public affairs officer. I've done quite a bit in the last 20 years. Degree combat tours to Iraq. I did that as a company grade officer before I had children. And then the second half of my career, I spent a lot of time at the strategic end of the Army, both at the United States Military Academy at West Point and here at the Pentagon area. Pretty excited that I will be ending my journey here shortly. I'm in the last six months and then I get to retire. <music> You know, a quick overview and broad stroke of, you know, why I joined or what I've been doing. But essentially it was, that's what dad was doing and that's what I wanted to do. I had no idea how long I was going to stay in. And the very best advice I ever got from anyone when I was a young second lieutenant, brand new coon leader, my company commander said, Olivia, you stay in the army as long as it's fun. And when it's no longer fun, you see yourself out. And honestly, I've had some good days and bad days, but for the most part, it's been fun. And now it's time for me to go. I think that's great advice. And I've heard the same thing as well, which is what my deciding factor was when it came time to get out in the military. I was at a point where I just knew that it was time to close the book on that chapter of my life. No, I think you're right. And I think a, another way to look at it is you've got to assess where you are in your life. And you have to look at whose decisions will be impacted by your decision. And something that I've said time and time again, and we talk about it at Soldier for Life, is that your service is more than just your choice. It is a family 
service to the nation. A lot of times our military spouses give up their careers in order to continuously move every two to three years. And a lot of them give up their career not only because of the movement is hard, but also they raise children. And they are the, as we would say in the Army, household six, right? Six identifying that leadership position. Because that's what they're doing. They're, they're managing the household. They're running, they're running that family. And so sometimes you just know that that answer to leave the military service is because it's what's best for you and your family. And that's probably one of the biggest choices for me as to why I'm leaving the army at 20 years. Could I stay in longer and serve beyond 20? Absolutely. But for me, it just made sense. My kids are young. I have a seven, almost eight year old and I have a four year old. And for me, it's time for Colonel Nunn to hang up her boots and to be just Bolivia nun, and to live in a different adventure where my kids are the focus versus the army saying, hey, mission has to come first. You mentioned that your kids didn't come into the picture until the last part of your career. How did your kids impact your time in service or influence decisions that you made as an army officer? Our first child was uh, born when I was a major, and actually I was a senior major at that point. So field grade officer, I'm considered an older mom, I'm in my 40s, and I have two young children. The choice to wait was a choice that we made in this family, and it made sense for us. There are certain things that we wanted to accomplish in our life before we added children. And honestly, for me, this is just me only. I wasn't ready to be a mom when I was in my 20s. In fact, when I was in my 20s, and if you had met me in my 20s, you probably heard me say that I didn't want to be a mom. And somewhere in my early 30s, that thought process had clicked. And it was, I want to say when I was around 31, 32, that I said, you know, maybe being a mom wouldn't be a bad thing. And it took me a couple of years. I had some fertility uh, things that I had to go through to be able to have our first child. And I would say that it has changed everything about my life, how I perceive being a parent and how you align with mission. I wish I had understood that more. So when I was a troop commander, not that I'm, you know, there was only a handful of women in my unit to begin with. And only, I think, twice did two of my female soldiers became pregnant and had their children while I was a troop commander. And not that I, you know, I would like to think that I didn't make it difficult for them, but I don't think I necessarily advocated for them and made it easier. And I wish I understood what it truly meant to be a mom in uniform when I was younger, Uh, things that I would have advocated harder for them, just because you just don't know what you don't know. Having kids does change the way you look at life, at the way you look at how you provide for them. And I've always said this, the military is a very unique organization. It's an amazing organization filled with opportunities, but it is a certain type of lifestyle and it's hard and it can be hard for your children. And I think those are things you got to think about. Besides me saying I didn't want to be a mom when I was younger, I wanted to achieve certain things in my career. And for me, that was being a troop commander. And I just felt that I had to dedicate myself as a leader to my soldiers first and foremost. And so for for that reason, my timeline kind of shifted to me being an older mom. I don't regret it. It made sense for this family. And I know there's plenty of women that are 
have done and are doing right now where they're company commander, troop commander, battery commander, and at the same time being mom and hats off to them. That just wasn't something I wanted to do. And so that wasn't the timeline for me. Once you had your first child, uh, how do you think your perspective changed when it came to leading others who, who might be mothers or maybe aren't mothers? You gain a, a whole new level of appreciation when you're a mom. And, you know, so I had my child, my first child, Sabella, when, um, I was stationed at West Point. It was in 2013 and it was in the summer, early summer. And I remember she must have been only a couple of weeks old. And we decided that we were going to go to the mall and go, go get some stuff. And it took me, I think, an hour and a half to pack my bag, my diaper bag, to fill the car with what I thought I needed and get situated. And I was very flustered by that. And I remember saying, and I went to my neighbor's house and I remember telling my girlfriend, Ginger, I said, I don't understand how I can lead a troop of men. You know, over 300 soldiers were entrusted to me into Iraq across five forward operating bases simultaneously and move equipment, millions of dollars of equipment easily. And yet I can't pack out one baby, one little tiny baby and not be flustered by it. I think in that moment, I really just had this epiphany of how hard being a mom truly is. And regardless of if you have the support structure at home, we know that moms are moms by themselves. We know that there are families of two parents in the household, regardless of what that structure is, it's still hard. And after realizing that and realizing how much I've dedicated my time and my energy to being the best soldier I could be, and now I wanted to give my time to this little person, this daughter of mine, was the first time that I was confronted with the understanding of how difficult it is for a woman to want to serve want to lead, want to put their career first. And it took me, I think, an hour and a half to pack my bag, my diaper bag, to fill the car with what I thought I needed and get situated. And I was very flustered by that. And I remember saying, and I went to my neighbor's house, and I remember telling my girlfriend, Ginger, I said, I don't understand how I can lead a troop of men, you know, over 300 soldiers were entrusted to me into Iraq across five forward operating bases simultaneously and move equipment, millions of dollars of equipment easily. And yet I can't pack out one baby, one little tiny baby and not be flustered by it. I think in that moment, I really just had this epiphany of how hard being a mom truly is. and. Regardless of if you have the support structure at home, we know that moms are moms by themselves. We know that there are families of two parents in the household. Regardless of what that structure is, it's still hard. And after realizing that and realizing how much I've dedicated my time and my energy to being the best soldier I could be, and now I wanted to give my time to this little person, this daughter of mine 
was the first time that I was confronted with the understanding of how difficult it is for a woman to want to serve, want to lead, want to put their career first, but yet this responsibility, this amazing, awe-inspiring responsibility of being a mom. And it was in that moment that I realized motherhood is tough, regardless if you wear combat boots or not. It is tough. It is, in many ways, is the most thankless job that I know. I might be biased, you know, being a mom, but that's kind of my perspective. Well, you know, I don't, so I don't have kids. And I found myself saying, kind of like what you did when you were in your 20s, that I don't want kids. but. For me, my twist is, is not that I don't like kids or love kids. It's not it, what I don't want is that responsibility. Because for me, I respect the responsibility that comes with being a mother. And I, that's what I don't want. Cause so I, I had, you know, I, people would always say, well, you'll, you'll change your mind when you get married or you'll this or that. And I'll say, look, that was you. That worked for you. It's not that I don't love these little beings that are just so innocent coming into this world. I love them. They're great. I just, it's, it, it's a lot to say, I'm going to nurture this being and raise this being with these, um, standards and morals and whatever else there might be. And that's a lot. So I, I was just, I would tell people, I, I, I don't want that responsibility. But, uh, you, you mentioned that you had deployed a couple times. Um, did you deploy, were those deployments before or after or both having kids? They were all done previous to me having kids. So I have not deployed and assuming that my last six months go as well, I will not deploy as a as a mother i did that all i was married uh but we had no children during that time and that was because i wanted to focus on my career and that maturity phase i just i just didn't feel like i was ready to be a mom i think maybe because i looked at my troop as my kids right like as a troop commander you are responsible for the success and failure of that organization and that's a huge responsibility one that's very humbling and it's a very tough job. And I wanted to dedicate myself to that and learn and grow from it, which I did. I had, I had such an amazing organization. Um, It wasn't perfect. No organization ever will be, but I had some great leaders that taught me along the way. I had some great non-commissioned officers that went out of their way to help shape and and mentor me and grow me. I had some, um, you know, some soldiers that made life fun, made those deployment times, fun. You know, they would come by and make me laugh or just tell me about their day or just, you know, being kids sometimes, being young in their 20s and saying and doing things that just gave a perspective to life. So for me, it was dedication to the mission or dedication to to what I was doing or honing that craft. That's something I think for me on the enlisted side of the house that I found for me when I was a private, I thought, I, when I become this rank, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to be in charge. But then as time went by and I did progress 
um, and get promoted, I realized it's not about being in charge. It's about leading other people. And so when you said it's kind of like those soldiers within your command were your babies, I get that. And, and I love that because I think for me, it was an opportunity to respect the people that were under me, treat them like people, be there for them when they need it. And instead of beating them down when things did not turn out the way they should have, to say, hey, let's just use it as a learning experience so that we don't do it again. I, I I realized when I did that with leading people that I got more respect from them because I treated them like a person and not a robot. And they knew that when I, when I, when I did have those moments of, look, it's not negotiable, go and do it. That's all there is to it. They knew it was because I had to focus my attention elsewhere because they knew that if I was short with them, it was because I was overwhelmed with a lot of stuff and that because I knew that otherwise I would be right there doing the work with them. Um, but I just wouldn't be able to at the time. Yeah. I, you know, so my, like I mentioned at the very beginning, my dad was in the army. He was enlisted. And the best advice that my dad gave me, both when I was a cadet through ROTC and, and I took that in when I came into the army is that, he said, Olivia, always remember your soldiers. If you always take care of them and you mean that you want to take care of them and they get that about you, there isn't anything that they wouldn't do. And I try to always remember that single point of advice that my dad gave me. And it has paid dividends for me. And it's in the simplest forms. You know, the old army, and I say that because I got to see Garrison Army before we deployed extensively. And what I saw and some of the things, the nuances that I learned was the simple things of why do leaders eat last? You're out in the field. Um, you know, the chow is being set up. Why do all your soldiers go first before you? You know, the, it, simple lessons about leadership and being a servant leader. and understanding something so small has such a big impact because honestly, most of the time when we were in the field, I actually didn't get to go through the meal line at all because I was so busy. I was in the tactical operations center or I was, I was somewhere with some organization planning our next mission, figuring out where I needed to maneuver my platoon next. And without even having to ask my soldiers knew Hey, I was busy doing something somewhere else. And when I came back to my vehicle, it was cold, but it was food and I had food waiting for me. Um, you know, absolutely women are breaking down barriers and changing perceptions. And there are women out there that are just taking names, right? If I could say they're just badasses and they're amazing. For me, I've mentioned this before. I'm five foot one. You know, I, you know, I work hard in being physically fit, sometimes better than others throughout my career. And um, I'm not necessarily the most physically strong person. And what kicks my butt is the cot 
if you ever put together a cot, it just it's horrible. And I can never get that stupid cot together. I was one end didn't have that that connection, even if I used another pole. And my soldiers knew that. And so I would just know that I would come back to our location and like knowing that I was probably gonna sleep on a busted cot. But my soldiers took care of me and they did that. They put my cot together and helped me disassemble it. Those are the little things about leadership. And those are that single lesson that my dad told me at the very beginning paid off in those little ways. But they mean so much. And it and it means so much when it transcends through the day-to-day activities and when you have to give orders and when they understand, hey, while I may not like what you're choosing to do, I understand that this choice is for the best for the organization. And I, and those are such humbling pieces of leadership that I just feel like you just can't get anywhere else. Maybe corporate America will teach you that. We'll see, you know, as I step out and go into that world. But what I do see and what I do know is corporate America comes back to the military asking us how we lead for a reason, because they don't teach that. We do. And I think that's important that we are leaders first and foremost. And being a leader is an awesome responsibility, but you've got to be humble and you've got to take care of those that you are given the immense, extraordinary opportunity to lead. I would like to believe, and maybe this is me always looking at the world half full, but I would like to believe that most people that come into the military, whether you in commission or you enlist, want what's best for the organization and wants what's best for you. They want to to be the best leader for you. And I think it's easy to point out bad leaders and talk about how bad they are and grumble about them. But I would submit that the harder challenge is how do you help shape and mentor that bad leader, right? So obviously we're talking somebody who outranks you, who is in a position above you. How do you help them grow so that they could be a better leader? How do you help them see themselves? I don't have all the answers to that. That is something I've struggled with the 20 years that I've been in. And sometimes you get through to them and sometimes you don't. And at the same time, are you open as a leader to take back feedback from those that work around you so that you can grow? You know, I definitely know that my, my leadership style has changed from when I was a second lieutenant to the way I am as a lieutenant colonel. You're absolutely right. When I came in, it was that mindset like, I'm the leader. I'm the platoon leader. And you quickly learn that that doesn't work. You definitely are the platoon leader. You're going nowhere. Understanding the nuances of how people work together. How do you challenge them to want to be there, to want to grow, to want to be part of the mission set is the harder challenge, but it's the most rewarding when you get them to understand where you're coming from and, and at the same time when you understand them. Or what I say, watching that light bulb turn on, that click. And for me, that is the part that I love the most about my time in the Army. And I've said this before, it is about mentorship. It isn't about leadership. Yes, I have skills in leadership. The Army has has invested 20 years of skills of leading. But what they have also invested in me and what I take the most pride in is mentorship. Watching 
the eyes light up of somebody that you are just teaching and guiding and they finally go, I get it. Not only do I get it, I'm impassioned and I'm inflamed for that, for that thing that we just talked about or for that thing that I want to now learn and do or how I want to lead others. That is what keeps me going. That's what keeps me inspired to want to stay in and to serve another year. But you're right. You still come to the point of when you know it's time to go. You just go. So you are currently a public affairs officer, but that's not what you started off as. You started off as a chemical officer. Why chemical? Why chemical? Because the Army said so. Just uh-huh. like the recruiting <laughs> office, you have your hopes and dreams of what you think you want to do in the Army, and then the Army says, okay, here's what you're going to get. And the same for me. I had a I had a list of six things that I wanted to do for the Army, and chemical was nowhere on that list. I wanted to be an adjutant general. I wanted to be military police. I wanted to be an engineer. I don't remember the other three. I just remember those top three. And I remember my senior year coming back from spring break, and the professor of military science sat me down and goes, okay, cadet, you know, I was not married. So my maiden name is McNeilis. And he goes, hey, all right, cadet McNeilis, you ready to hear what you're getting? And I'm sitting there, fingers crossed. And I'm like, yes, sir. And so excited. I know he's going to tell me at least one of my top three. He says, chemical. I was kind of sat there. And he said, did you hear me? And I said, no, I don't think I did. What did you say? He said, chemical. I sat there again and I said, I remember staring off and he's just like, you have nothing to say. And I remember thinking he must be joking because he, he had this great personality and was kind of a jokester. And I said, you're fucking with me, sir. I said, you are lying. I do not have chemicals. That was not on my list. And he was like, no, I'm being dead serious. I'll show you. And he turned the, the, the screen around and he showed it to me. I'm like, and I started crying. I said, no, the Army's got it wrong. The Army has got it wrong. This is the end of my life. It hasn't even started. And I'm in this branch that I don't even like. Like This is going to be horrible. And I I remember calling my dad and I said, Dad, you won't guess what I got. He's like, you got an engineer like your old man. I said, I wish. <laughs> I said, I got, this, I got this career branch I've never even heard of called chemical. And I think there's the people that run that the chamber or something, the horrible gas chamber or something. I was like, I don't, I don't know how I got there, dad. (laughs) And he says, you know what? He's like, Olivia, you're going to do amazing regardless of what you do. And you just need to learn and grow. I said, okay. So I remember going, you know, going to officer basic course and 9-11 happened when I was in that course. And I came to my first duty assignment at Fort Hood. And I had the amazing responsibility of being a platoon leader. I was a Fox Reconnaissance platoon leader. And I had 16 soldiers for me. I had a female soldier for a few months. And then she ended up PCSing. And then my platoon ended up being all men. So I have quickly, through my time in ROTC and even in the Army, I've quickly become comfortable with the uncomfortableness of being the only woman. I have always was the only woman in the field as a platoon leader. You know, just it just... I think the straw that I always drew, but to say that I thought I had it wrong wasn't right because the army got it right. I, I learned so much in my first 10 years as a chemical officer, 
you know, because I'm a 2001 commissionee, I was not afforded the opportunities that those have today. I could not be a tank commander. I couldn't become an armor officer. I couldn't go to to Fort Benning to be an infantry officer. Not that I would pick that today, <laughs> but you know, I that wasn't given to me. I the only combat arms that was open at that time is if you wanted to be an attack Apache helicopter pilot. That was as combat arms as you were going to get. I wanted to honestly be a tank commander and there was no place for for a woman. But what I got the chance to do as a chemical officer was get as close as possible to the things that my male counterparts were doing. I was in a armor brigade combat team. I served with 1st Brigade, 1st Cavalry Division at Fort Hood, Texas. He is now General Funk. He is the commander of TRADOC. But at that time, he was Colonel Funk, and he was a brigade commander. There wasn't anything that I wasn't afforded the opportunity to learn when I was in his command. Yes, I was a chemical officer. Yes, I did the uh, amazing fun report called the Unit Status Report USR. But I did other things. I commanded the talk. I was the lead battle captain as a woman in an armor unit. I went out on missions as well. There was nothing that was denied to me simply because I was a woman. And the same is true when I was in my, that was my second deployment. The same was true during my first deployment. When I served with the 4th Aviation Brigade, 4th Infantry Division in 2003 with General Odierno when he was the division commander. While that was a co-ed organization, both men and women in that aviation unit, I got to do things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. I went on the roads of Iraq every single day. I was a convoy commander. I delivered fuel all along different fuel stops in Iraq. I was... Never told because I was a woman, I couldn't do something. And then ultimately, fast forward, my third deployment, Colonel Funk afforded me the opportunity, the chance to be a troop commander. And I was the headquarters and headquarters troop commander, 1st Brigade, 1st Cab, the first female to do so. That's how come there weren't very many women in my organization, because it is, it is an organization designed predominantly to be men at that time because of combat arms was only open to men. So it was heavy with armor guys and infantry guys. And again, had I not been chemical, I don't think I would have been given those chances or those choices because I was chemical and we're known as a jack of all trades. And because you don't want the chemo doing their job. If I'm doing my job that the Army has taught me, that means there are chemical or biological incidences on the battlefield, and you don't want that. So it's, that's a reactive staff, staff position. So you want me doing other things. So that allowed me to learn other parts of the Army. That allowed me to hone leadership and mentorship in ways that I would have not been able to do had I been something else. So the Army did get it right. And then... To answer the next part, why public affairs? I just knew, just like I know it's time for me to go, I just knew when I had reached that point in my career that chemical was no longer the career field for me. I felt that I had learned what I needed to learn as a company grade officer, but I wanted to see myself doing something different for the Army. Um, I like to chat, <laughs> and which fits well as to why I love to podcast and be a podcast host. But it, not only that, I love networking. I love meeting people. I love storytelling. And it just made sense to do the 
the career field in the Army that gets to do those things. I mean, we are more than that as public affairs officers, but that is a portion of our lane of responsibility, of storytelling. And it just made sense for me to go in that direction. And the Army got it right again. They said, you get to be a PAO. So for me, when I talk about the Army being a doorway of opportunity, that's exactly what it is. And that's what I would tell any person that wants to look at the military as an opportunity beyond their time in high school. You know, should I join or should I not join? It's a tough experience. It's a tough way of life, but it is so rewarding and it has so many chances for you to grow and to develop. And you don't have to stay in 20 years like I do. You could definitely do a couple years and get some skill sets under your belt and go develop that in another way, in another arena and, de- and develop the life that you want. So for me, Army equals opportunity. If nothing else, you don't remember anything else that I say today, the Army equals opportunity. Boom, there it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke with a, another chemical officer in the Army um, on a different episode. And <clears throat> like you, she had, I think on her list, she had medical and maybe MP as well. And I think, again, like you, chemical was not even on that top 10 list or whatever, or top six list. And, uh, you know, and, and when she had joined, she also didn't have the same opportunities that many women have now as they come in to select what branch they uh, want to be a part of. So she got, as she put it, yeah, I kind of got stuck with chemical, but she stuck with it, you know, for her, her, the duration of her time, um, because it was a fit for her. And, uh, and murder. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The army is a small world, right? And it's a smaller world when you're talking about the chemical career field or even the public affairs career field. We're, we're just two very small branches. And so I've known Annette since 2003. So it's been oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know I hadn't known her that long. It wasn't it wasn't really until I started looking into doing the podcast that I um, I met her. I think it was in a mutual Zoom, uh, like a veterans like happy hour or some sort of connection like that. Oh, she's awesome. She's yeah. So she runs her own podcast and she shares her story. She's on a mission to share a story and to reduce the stigma of mental health. And yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. That, that's something else. Yeah, so she and I, um, she and I recorded her episode where she does share some of her story. And then there, we recorded later on for something that I'm going to be doing. Uh, and, and mental health advocacy was the topic of that discussion. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad because there really is a stigma there that, um, that exists that needs to be dispelled. Um, yeah. And and I'll tell you my, my wake up call was I, I remember going to be seen by a mental health provider and it was given some medication and I was very reluctant and said, I don't know. So the, the, the provider asked me, if you had a heart attack and the doctor told you you, need, you needed to take aspirin for the rest of your life, would you do it? And I said, yeah. 
And they said, well, why is it any different? Why is taking care of your brain any different than taking care of your heart? And I was like, okay, busted. I can't really argue with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother, another uh, thing there. Speaking of your small worlds, uh, another episode uh, of the podcast is, your, I think she was maybe your predecessor for PAO, uh, Robin Johnson. Um, and she, yeah, she and I did an episode as well, but uh, it's good stuff. She was, she is not a PAO. She was a logistician for the Army and she retired um, last year. But she served, in her last duty assignment, she served as the Soldier for Life Employment Director. And she's a, one of my best friends. And uh, in, in fact, what she does, uh, besides working full-time, she also does comedy um, for our veterans. And she's actually got a show tonight. I uh, will be there. Yeah, so Robin Johnson, uh, she served as our Employment Director. We had talked about starting the podcast. And I just was inundated with a bunch of other projects. And she kicked it off, off the ground and got it going and created something that was value-added and valuable to our military community. And so she did season one and two and she needed to retire and she handed the reins off to me. And so I've had the honor and privilege to carry on the work that she started. And hopefully, you know, I've been doing a good job and have made her proud. Yay. You know what? So you just, you know, you said something that made me think about to tie in with an earlier comment that you made about how the army has, it, it has so many opportunities to gain new skills and opportunities. Um, like you said, she was a logistician, but she functioned in, is it, can I, can I say, functioned in a PAO environment, maybe? So, not really. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. So, Soldier for Life is an outreach organization, and outreach is predominantly done by public affairs officers. That outreach is a function of public affairs. We are the ones that are trained by the military to do so. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is an it is a example of the army will make you flexible. Right? There's that forever semper gumby uh, to be flexible. Yes, you will hone in on the skills that the army wants to teach you, but there's so many other skills that you're going to walk away with. And I think that's the thing that our youth needs to understand, and our parents of those youth need to understand that the army is an opportunity. It's more than just serving in a in a nicely um, decorated uniform, if you will. It's more than that. It is camaraderie. It is discipline. It is skills. It's education. Many don't know this, but one of the largest scholarship producing organizations to go to college is the United States Army. You don't have money for college? Look at the Army. And you don't have to become a lifer like me. Come Mm -hmm. in, serve your three or four year commitment, get the forever 9-11 GI Bill, and go to college on the backside. Learn servant leadership. Learn how to be humble. Walk away with some skills, some hard skills, some soft skills. Apply that towards your education and develop your second half of your career in your life. Like, I, I don't know what better way than, than that opportunity. Oh, by the way, the Army pays you leave. You get holiday, right? You earn time off. Every month, you earn 2.5 days of time off. And if you accrue that, that's 30 days in a year. That's a whole month. Now, most commanders won't give you a whole month, but, you know, (laughs) 
a whole month of being paid not to go on vacation. <laughs> you have medical, dental, all kinds of great opportunities. Again, yes, I know it's a unique lifestyle, but one that's well worth taking your time and effort to find out about and understanding that one of the best communities that are out there. And if that's not evident, look at the transition community alone. There isn't a day that goes by in my official capacity as the director of communication for U.S. Army Soldier for Life. And yes, I have made it known. I am in my last six months and I'm transitioning. The number of people that have outpoured and outreached to me to say, hey, Olivia, I've been where you've been. Let me assist you in some of the bumps that I went through. Or if you need X, Y, or Z, I have it or I know the person to call. And it's not because I asked for that. It's simply because they gave it because the military community gets it. We are a family. It is a brotherhood and sisterhood that once you've earned that title soldier, it is with you forever. So for those that are listening that got some youth that are trying to figure out what they want to do, I highly encourage you to look at the United States military. And I may be biased, the United States Army. Once you take your uniform off for the last time, what is it that you think you're going to miss the most? It has to do with your identity, right? And I think that's probably going to be one of the harder things I'm going to go through is the shifting of your identity, is that there is something to be said about putting on your uniform and clearly identifying with that tapestry. I am wearing a uniform and it signifies that I'm connected to a larger whole. Whereas once I take that off and I'm just in veteran status, you won't know that I'm part of that veteran tapestry unless I tell you. There's nothing outwardly that will say that. And I think it's very apropos that I say this today. I posted this morning how appalled I am at some of the things that are going on in today's news. Now, we had a Fox News reporter talk about headlining the mockery of women in the military. You know, our hairstyles are changing and we're pregnant and now we're going to lead the charge into war. And very inflaming comment. That set me off this morning. Wearing the uniform is an honor. And it's a tough job. Less than 1% serve in our nation force, in all of our DOD forces, less than 1%. Actually, we only make up a half percent if you really want to get specific. On top of that, all the forces combined, women make up 18%. 18, we're not even a quarter, 18%. So it takes some balls, some commitment to want to say I'm going to join the military as a man or a woman. And as a woman, even more so. So to say that we are being made fun of or we're being mocked for our choices is pretty unprofessional. And quite frankly, rude, very dismissive. The three million women that have worn the uniform. And for me, I think that's probably what I will miss the most is the outward connection to the branch of service. You know, like I always say, you know, you earn that title when you graduate basic or the day you commission, you are a soldier for life. And the last thing I will say, and we've always said this in this household, go Army, beat Navy. 
Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time, your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you, and have a nice day.